Hello and welcome to Indie Wrestling 20 Years Ago Podcast for June 2001. I'm your host, Daniel Dewitt, and I'm joined as ever by Adam Joyce and Billy Johnson to see how the wrestling scene was the other side of the pond and away from Titan Towers. Vince, how are we doing? Oh, you know, a bit, bit sort of run down today, but hey, I'll still give it me all. Good stuff, good stuff. Billy, yourself? Oh, well, I'm always good, mate. I, I can't complain. <laughs> There's no point in complaining. Sometimes I, I, I agree with that, yeah. I mean, you can complain, but then ultimately who listens? <laughs> no one ever listens to me, mate, so... <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. I don't know, the, the download numbers from last month say otherwise. Oh, Adam, that's a, that's a good one. That's a good start, mate. Well done. <laughs> yes, a quick, a quick thank you to, to all those who, who uh, downloaded and listened to our opening episode uh, last month um, and the prologue before that. So, yeah, glad to see that there there is some, an audience out there for for the independent wrestling scene, not just what uh, the WWF are doing. So, yeah, hopefully we can continue with that momentum this month and then going forward. Um Speaking of the matches, we've got several to go through, a bit of diversity sort of in what we're picking. But before then, um, either Billy, Adam, um, anyone wants to cover what's been going on in the news or got any good news uh, articles that they've picked out to share? Okay, so I think I'll start out with the big one, and it's Hulk Hogan and Universal Studios are going to be teaming up in August. Uh, they plan to run a taping of a pilot for a one-hour wrestling show. Jimmy Hart is also involved, and he's talking up the involvement of Bret Hart. Get this, Jay Leno, Shaquille O'Neal, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and the grill master himself, George Foreman. Wow, Hogan and Buddies back back together again. I I, I cannot wait to get my hands on uh, some footage of that um, so, so there's no bad blood from George Foreman for getting the real deal over Hulk Hogan then? Well, I assume that's why they're getting him in, because Hogan's going to job him out, right? <laughs> Get his quote-unquote win back, yeah, sure. Yeah. How <laughs> dare <I'll laughs> you take the grill, brother? <laughs> it, it's only been six years, but it does sound a, a lot like WCW 95 with, with the, Ho- the Hogan clan all back together. I'm sure. I'm sure paydays are bound. Well, Stevie Ray definitely will not be involved because he's, uh, well, or he might actually, because his new promotion, uh, the UWF, run its first show and it seems like it's their last already as the promotion has cancelled all further dates due to ongoing problems with talent is how they put it, but I would assume it was because they were not drawing fans in any way whatsoever. Yeah, a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, I think, on, on both. It's a bit harsh to sort of do one one show and then cancel straight away um i mean of course who knows what the money situation's like but you'd, you'd think they'd have at least given it another go one more one more show maybe something a bit different try different anyone, something but there we go does anyone know the sort of talent they were using because obviously if they if they're bringing in whatever big names are still available it's quite a lot of money to put into a first show and if there's not the money there to cover it if it all goes wrong you you are really starting yourself off in a bad place. I mean, obviously, if it's a bunch of no-name guys, it's less money, but it's still money that needs to be invested. So if the money's not, even in a time like 2001, when wrestling's on such a boom period, you still need to be prepared to lose whatever money you're putting into 
into a show. Yeah, that's true. I, I didn't see any name sort of mentioned um, alongside the show, just that he was running one. Um, I can't think who, I can't imagine it being sort of any of the sort of big ex-WWF names, or those who have been sort of rumoured for uh, WF runs, I can't imagine it being, I can imagine it being sort of the lower end of the WCW sort of scale, those who haven't been picked up. But even so, yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't see that being much to promote. And yeah, but even so, if they're ex-WCW, they would still want quite a bit of money because of the money they've been used to getting paid previously. So yeah, it's going to be a case of any sort of companies like this being being lost leaders for a while until they get their some sort of TV deal or just find their feet. So to be perfectly honest, um, it sounded like Stevie was uh, just doing what everyone else is doing, and that was just working, and he thought he'd get his new promotion off the ground. Because talking about new promotions, another former big star name has uh, decided to throw his name into the hat of running a new promotion in Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> No, he's he's someone who probably could draw, bring in the bigger name. I mean, yes, he's not like Hogan and have has his sort of uh, massive followers and, and friends who could he could lean on. But you'd you'd think that Savage would be able to sort of be a draw enough a himself just to get people to watch a wrestling show with him on, but b have enough sort of friends and uh, people he can draw upon to bring in. So so if that does come about. Might be worth looking at. Well, you have to start to think about like long-term, like success of a promotion that you would build around an aging Randy Savage. Same with Hogan. It's, it, to me, it just doesn't make any sense in 2001. But look, this is where we are. Well, the trouble with a lot of like big stars is they get the wrestling business in as much as they know how to get themselves over in the wrestling business. But the reason they got over is because they're different from everyone else. You, you can't use the same logic to get someone else over because they're not them. You know, what mm. what got Austin over is completely different from what got Hogan over. What got Hogan over was completely different from what got San Martino over. But we we see people like Hogan starting up the promotions, they know what got them over, but it's but it's not what got anyone else over because no one else was doing that. That's and that's that's the trouble with names like this. If they're not if they've had Little to no experience uh, on the promotional side, then they, although it sounds good on paper having like a big name like that, you've, without someone who's been in the office, been in the, worked the booking, worked the promotional side, it's, um, it's an uphill battle. I mean, like you said, they've got the name value, so they should be a draw short term, but you need, if they're, you need to have someone to play off them that, that can appeal. Um, and then you also need, you know, a, full, a roster underneath them that can also keep people's attention. It's, um, yeah, they, it, it, like, you, you need more than just one name. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, on to the next part of uh, the news. Uh, Howard Brody, the president of the NWA, has been in contact with the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. He wants him to give the rub to new NWA World Heavyweight Champion Steve Carino on a charity show. But uh, Time Warner will not allow him to work the show, even though it was a charity show. And it, it would seem that all other Time Warner 
contracted wrestlers will also not be allowed to to work other shows until their deals have expired going forward. Yeah, this goes back to what we were just talking about. The idea of starting a promotion and stuff now is going to be is going to be tricky because you put a you probably can't afford those big names, but b you can't even have them until their deals run out, which are from from memory would be not until the following year. So you probably, we're going into sort of a, a sort of six month period now where yeah it's going to be sort of light on on star power outside of whoever the WF already have, and those who they haven't signed are people who are happy to sit at home and wait to stop being paid basically aren't they so that's 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 sort of one of the one of the issues that you get. you're not going to get i mean outside of Hogan starting his own thing you're not going to get nash hall um someone like sting or or people like that turning up that soon because there's no reason for them to work yet just think the MWA sort of fallen quite a bit. You know, you saw nothing against Steve Carino, but when you think 10 years ago, the person in, in that position was Ric Flair, it's, it certainly shows the downward slide that that title was taken. I mean, some would argue it, it bottled out when Gary Steele won the belt uh, <laughs> in 99, which I, I completely understand. But yeah, it's, I just, I kind of hope that the NWA, yeah, title is uh, going to be picked up at some point in a promotion that's you know a bit more that's got a bit more visibility than right now because it would be nice even if it's just like for one last run of the belt before it sort of gets kind of unified elsewhere just just to see it um you know get a good solid run and actually be seen by by a lot of people yeah, it, it's it's promotion that need, or it's a title that needs promotion, really, isn't it? it it's a case of, well, that that's kind of where why it has gone into obscurity because sort of following the, um, well, it, following the ECW sort of uh, fallout with the NWA, they they were left without without a platform really, and since then no one's picked them up, and there hasn't been like a, a regular sort of spot on TV that. It is, it's kind of going back, it's gone back to the sort of the touring title where it just p- appears on, on various sort of indie shows over the past sort of, what, five, six years. And then it's, st- and it's still doing that now. You know, like, as you say, until it, until it sort of finds a home, it is just going to be kind of a, a nomadic kind of title that picks up here, here and everywhere. And I mentioned on the uh, last ones that I would sort of pay attention to it and, and follow it, but unfortunately I haven't been able to find a match. For this month, from the from the NWA sort of title scene, because they are so sort of sparse, I'm hoping to pick it back up, and they say hopefully we'll get to see um, sort of Carino or whomever the champion is defend it again on on the show. But until until then, yeah, it's, it's going to it sort of fleets with appearances, but then it goes back into sort of the darkness again. So finally, um, oh no, sorry, Adam, you got um, some stuff to touch upon. Um, Anyway, I'll get back to what my point I was saying. Uh, Wrestle Express, uh, which we did talk about last month, and Adam, you brought it up and brought it to our attention. Um, they have um, Sonny Ono and Eric Bischoff on board as bookers, and uh, they've confirmed a second pay-per-view, even before their first pay-per-view has even happened, and it's going to be taking place in London, England, uh, the Docklands Arena. 
Uh, and they're trying to get a pay-per-view provider on board. I, I can't think off the top of my head who that would be. Uh, the only pay-per-view provider I think we have in this country um, would be Skybox Office at this point. Maybe um, ITV Digital. <laughs> I was going to say it would have to be what, ITV Digital or what, some sort of what, NTL slash Teddy West slash God knows whom. Because even Santana Sports hasn't even arrived yet in this country, so... Yeah, you know, the thing I could think of, was Premier League Plus around at the time? I think it was, yes. I think that's Surely only just be football, unless they strike up some random deal to to, to air it. But yeah, Pay-Per-View wasn't as diverse back then, is it? And it's still not massively so now. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, it would have to be like in the really weird numbers on the on the skybox at the time but um i didn't have one i didn't have a skybox in 2001 so i'm not so i um i wouldn't know yeah who would um what would be co- covering this yeah well i i hope it ends up on men and motors personally <laughs> <laughs> along with topless darts and uh other great programming that they give us <laughs> uh so adam over to you for your side of the news yeah, well, speaking of Wrestle Express, um, they also they also are, uh, are signing up loads of people. They've, at the start of this month, they announced that uh, Medusa was doing um, going to be on their first show. Uh, which I mean, they don't have the list they announced last month, but I remember that one's pretty packed. It's mostly all the former ECW and WCW guys that weren't picked up. Although we now know that's not going to be Rob Van Dam because he's in negotiations to possibly be part of the new WCW that's starting up at this point. Um, they have announced they also have uh, a, ex- a wrestler that's now exclusive to them who is going to be working under the name Mr. William. <laughs> I... Money. <laughs> it screams money, that name. Well, you know, because they are, they are trying to do um, a weekly TV series as well off the back of these two savings that nearly set six months apart, so it's going to be interesting to see how they go about that. Elsewhere in the news, uh, we just spoke about the NWA title. The AWA title has has shown up in the news, or at least the uh, the physical belt has. <laughs> uh, a guy by the name of uh, Dale Gagne a few years ago set up a diff- set up a group called the AWA. Um, American Wrestling Association, but it has, it has, other than the physical belt, it has zero ties to the AWA of Bern Gagne fame. But yeah, at the start of this month, uh, the underwear mogul Eric Priest defeated the Siberian Express Larry Gilgrovich in Hillside, Illinois for the aforementioned AWA title. Sadly, no footage of this match exists, and as of right now, there is there is no update on the website as to when or even if there is going to be any future AWA shows. So the sad history of the AWA title that looks as of right now is sitting on a guy whose nickname is the underwear model. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I going through the through the, the news for the month, it does sound like the, uh, the approach from a lot of parts of America is to go backwards rather than forwards. So 
the, the sort of bringing back of the territories, like you say, you mentioned the AWA sort of making this sort of brief fleeting sort of return or that doesn't appear to be anywhere. Memphis, uh, Jerry Lawler doing some like legends type shows along in Memphis, like I say in Memphis. I think that there's one or two others sort of have, have appeared up again. So is, is that kind of going to be our future for the next sort of few months? Are we going to see various sort of territories sort of re-emerging sort of out of the, out of the sort of wilderness as there's no, as like I said, as we know, there's only one sort of big show in, in town, but now with the WWF, is it, are we just now going to sort of hear about all, all the other sort of territories coming? Is like, uh, we've got a match coming up later from, from Stampede. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's what we're going to have to sort of rack our brains, go, go, sort of go back to the mid eighties and think of all the different promotions that are out then. Put that, put those into sort of our match finder for 2001 and see what ping, pings up. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, um, speaking of the territories, OVW recently held its uh, last dance event, um, called the last dance because it what it, Looks like it will be the last ever wrestling event held at the Louisville Gardens, which just happens to be 31 years to the month after Jerry Jarrett brought uh, wrestling back to Louisville. There were 3,000 fans in attendance. Um, there was a number of WWF talent on the card, uh, including Belenko and Saturn, who challenged for the OVW Southern Tag Team titles. Uh, Chris Jericho, who lost to Flash Vanagon for the OVW title. Big Show and Mark Henry were also on the card, and the main event saw Undertaker and Kane defeat uh, Diamond Dallas Page and Leviathan. Yes, yeah, I've got, I've got the card up, and you see so you've gone through quite, quite a bit of that. So plenty of matches that I would have loved to have picked if, if, the, if the footage was available, but unfortunately, OVW footage is, is hard to come by. Because is this a shoot, Dan? Is this a shoot? Is this where you're going to start shooting? <laughs> no, no. I'll I'll keep I'll keep a lid on it for now. But that, yeah, just looking just looking at it, I, we kind of talk a bit of um, off air talk, bring on air. But we have talked talk about potentially doing sort of a whole match card at one point in the in the future and. I know we're only a couple of episodes in, but this would have been a great one to go from, from bell to bell to. But yeah, unfortunately, uh, those in, in, over in Titan Towers have yet to release much OVW footage featuring the said stars that we've got. Cause that would have been a nice way to sort of still keep in touch with the WWF, even though it's a, technically an independent show. But we found, I would say we found plenty of, of decent ones this month and yeah, some going forward and then maybe some OVW snippets will make their way into the show. In, in the future months. Yeah, uh, so yeah, just uh, one last bit of news. So, uh, which ties into my first match, actually. Here, um, so here in the in the UK, in the fine city of Portsmouth, they've oh, yeah. got a little channel work called uh, My TV, and that's and that has started showing FWA uh, t- uh, TV show this month. Uh, the first. Due to technical problems, the first episode had to go back a week, but yeah, it's currently being shown uh, 11.30 every Saturday night for half an hour, which means that Portsmouth has something they can hold over uh, Southampton in the fact that they've got, you know, a professional wrestling show exclusive to them, whereas Southampton, the only thing they have to hold over Portsmouth is the fact they're not Portsmouth. 
Well, I have Matt Letizia <laughs> as well. Come on. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, so... The first, I think it's uh, six or seven episodes of the FWA TV show is actually a show they did in the middle of May called High Potential, which was a 21-match card. So hats off to anyone who actually, to the hundreds, 200 people who were, who were in the Portsmouth Pyramid Center that day, because to sit through that is um, it's quite a marathon, regardless of Sounds like how the, big a fan you so like the modern day marathons that I sort of read and hear about, the, uh, well, yeah, the, the three, four hour taping or not tapings, just how independent shows that go on for forever. Who, who knew that it was a, well, it's not a new thing. It's been going for so long. You know, WWF TV tapings, they, they would do, they would go on for hours as well, you know, because they do like the TV tapings and the Coliseum video tapings. Those things would go, go on forever. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'm going to be honest, bit, bit of a mixed bag, but I did, but the match that I'm going to talk about in a, in a few minutes is um, certainly holds its own. But yeah, um, the less said about some of those backstage segments, the better. All I, all I will say is um, one of the segments in the commissioner's office, my wife walked in while I was watching it. She just looked at me and said, I thought you said you were watching wrestling. And I was <laughs> like, no, no, this is. I know the acting and the music's says otherwise, but no, this is definitely wrestling. Great. Thanks, thanks guys, for, for covering the, the news for the month. And yeah, as you, t- as you just mentioned, your first match, Adam, is is from the FWA, so uh, why not introduce it and yeah, talk us through it? Um, okay, so last month I mentioned that the previous month there'd been an FWA show where they'd been forced to vacate the FWA title. So the first few episodes of FWA TV there's one match on each episode that's a tournament match um, for, the, for the vacant title Justin Richards was unable to attend the, uh, the event in, in April so um, the title was held up meaning that to the crowds got an excellent Doug Williams versus Nova match that had we been doing a, uh, a podcast that month I almost certainly would have covered that match uh, and so I'm covering, so I'm covering this match from the first round. It's Doug Williams versus Jody Fleisch. Uh, like I said, this was taped at high potential in May. Yeah, at the Portsmouth Pyramid Centre and was broadcast on the 23rd, I believe it was the 23rd of June. So, uh, because of a, a buy happening in the match in the previous episode, the winner of this match instantly goes, goes through to the, t- through the tournament final, which puts a bit of extra pressure on uh, on the competitors. So, like I said, Doug Williams versus Jody Fleisch. Uh, and out first, it's Doug Williams who comes out the crowd because he is an anar- because he's an anarchist. Uh, he's an anarchist, and I've not got my teeth in. Uh, in on a, just on a general aside, I think anarchist is actually a great name, and but I can't picture Doug Williams just. No, no, yeah. <laughs> on a like a, on, you know, on a quiet evening and just, you know, in fully embracing the dulcet tones of Johnny Rossin. Um, I can't see him rocking, he... rocking a mohawk either, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> no, no. Just... Uh, <clears throat> Doesn't seem uh, very good, Williams, but there we go. <laughs> uh, 
But still, it's, it's, it's a good ring name, even if the, the gimmick doesn't fit. Um, for some reason, the new breed have joined the, in on commentary for the introduction here, and and the first thing they do is refer to Doug as a great worker, which is already making me want to shut them up. Um, uh, they go to the uh, commercial break, and as they come back, Jody Fleiss is making his way out to the ring and gets a great pop from the crowd. So both wrestlers square up so the bell rings and Doug takes Jody down by the head a couple of times, but Jody springs back up both times. Uh, Doug then grabs a headlock, gets sent to the ropes and hits a shoulder tackle. They take turns running the ropes and leapfrogging before Jody just hits a spin kick. Uh, he follows it up with a hip toss and a drop kick that makes Williams powder to the floor. Jody hits a springboard moonsault and Williams waits for the last second to turn around and Take it because what kind of idiot just stands there while they see their opponent flying at them? Sadly, the answer to that is most spot monkey wrestlers nowadays, but that's <laughs> for another time, I feel. <laughs> uh, Jody celebrates on the barricade with a group of fans that really seem to be behind him. Back in the ring, Williams ducks a flying kick and takes Jody down with an ankle pick. I mean, after so many kick attempts in the first few minutes, who wouldn't try that? Unfortunately, Jody flips him out and takes him down with an arm dragging to an armbar. Uh, Williams tries a couple of times to get Jody up in a fireman's carry, but Jody still has a wrist lock on it and just wrenches it, wrenches it on to keep control. Doug manages to get up and snap near Jody, but he just turns it into another wrist lock. It, actually, it really saddens me. A lot of the shows I've, I've been to over the years, it's just the same counter to wrist locks and then that's it at the start of the match. This match is actually showing just how you can play around with just a simple hold and, and the crowd asked fairly into it for pretty much the whole time. On commentary at this point, Mark Priest points out how a lot of people say Jody is just a spot monkey and uh, it was just sort of high flyer, sorry. And, and um, Jody is proving all those people wrong, which is funnily enough the exact same thought I had at that point in the match. Doug finally get, gets out the hold and takes Jody down for a two. Uh, Jody hits the ropes, leapfrogs Williams, stops and hits an arm arm drag just as Doug turns around and it's another arm bar. Jody then goes to switch to the cross arm breaker, but Doug sort of blocks it, fights out, picks him up and back drops him. Uh, Doug stops Jody a few times while trying to get some feeling back into his arm. An overhead suplex and flash gets two and Williams uppercuts him into the corner. Uh, Williams then whips Jody opposite, but Jody backflips over him, follows up the Japanese arm drag. Uh, Williams whips him into the corner a second time. Jody goes again for the backflip counter, but Williams just pushes him face first into the barricades. Over in the entrance where they start brawling, Jody goes for a dive over the barricades, but Williams moves and Jody just eats the, the opposite barricade. Doug throws him into the barricade a few more times before he gets backdropped into the crowd on a charge attempt. Jody, uh, Jody hits a flip off the barricades onto Williams into his ankle as they start an FWA chant. Doug cuts him off on the way back to the ring, but Jody still hits the springboard runner for a two. Uh, Jody body scissors Williams, who just hangs him up on the ropes. Beautiful counter that. Uh, Belly's back suplex from, uh, from the apron gets Doug a two count. Jody fights out of a German suplex attempt with a roll up for a two. Another corner whip that Jody attempts to reverse but ends up eating a German suplex, making him one for three on corner whip reversals. That ain't good. 
as I say that he drops toeholds to dug onto the turnbuckles and climbs the ropes, a missile dropkick sex wounds up for a really sweet looking shooting star, but Jody ends up eating the canvas. Uh, then a revolution DDT grants Doug his place in the final of the tournament with the one, two, three. Williams leaves the ring and goes to the back as, as Fleisch recovers, only for <coughs> Williams to charge back into the ring and beat him down and drop King out the ring. Out on the floor, Jody fights back and now has a chair shot before heading to the back. And Doug is pissed as this episode goes off the air. So, um, I take it we all saw the match this time, yeah? Uh, yes, um, I checked it out. Um, you sent the link earlier, and um, I'm not surprised that Jody and Doug put on a, well, a clinic, to be fair. And um, it was a good <clears throat> television match. Like, you wouldn't expect it, especially coming from them at this stage in their career, that they'd be able to have a good TV match, considering neither had been on television had a good out as well. It sort of gave you a hook to come back and watch next week. So, and I think they made the right decision in the, in the guy that they had going over and the crowd was certainly invested. And, um, yeah, um, not, not, not too shabby from either, either guy. And it wouldn't, certainly wouldn't look out of place on the, well, in, um, on the WWF, to be fair, if, um, either of them were to get signed, like, that it, it really did, it, it sort of put British wrestling <clears throat> on, on a pedestal. Um, thank God for that. You know, for years, um, we've sort of been ridiculed because we've been doing shows where you have, um, let's just say Ricky Knight dressed up as a road warrior. <laughs> mm. yes. And now we've seemed to have a proper scene over here, which is great news for, for us wrestling fans because we got some great ambassadors in Doug and, and Jody and, and Johnny Storm and, you know, thank you, Alex Shane. <laughs> I don't know if it's right to say that in this day and age, but, you know, <laughs> thank you for putting this uh, out there and doing something different with British wrestling for once. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I think sort of in, in my notes, I, I sort of had... I use other other matches as a not as a comparison, but as a sort of a way to get my mindset in. And when I saw the guys come out, I thought, ah, so you got Williams, a ground-based kind of guy, and flies a high fly. So I'm thinking somewhere on the lines of Malenko Mysterio from from '96. Obviously, not expecting to to hit those sort of dizzying heights, but I my expectations were were high, but they were were definitely met. And uh, yeah, great sort of mix of sort of. Outside the ring, brawling, in ring, technical wrestling, and that the high flying that that Fife brings, um, yeah, all good through. Um, I think sort of in my sort of lifetime of going to see sort of small UK shows, Jody Fife is almost always on all of them, and yes. never disappoints. And yeah, good to see that he's sort of start. start I mean, you, you guys will know this more than me, but how early is he into his career here, or how long has he been wrestling at this point? Uh, I'd say year and a half, maybe. Years. It's, yeah, no, oh, he was okay. with Camelot for, for a few years, um, but they, but Fleisch, Johnny Storm, Alex Shane, and Doug Williams kind of broke away from Camelot yeah. right. a couple of years before this, but in sort of ninety eight, ninety nine time. Um, yeah, that, that figures. You can sort of tell that they're um, 
newish to the to, to the business, but have, still have a good sort of couple of years sort of grounding behind them. It shows that they've got that sort of decent sort of foundation of experience and and yeah, like I said, I've seen both these guys wrestle in the past sort of yeah twenty twenty years and never been disappointed by anything they've either of them have done. So so um, more than happy with with this offering today. So yeah, thanks for that, Adam. No problems. Um, uh, so yeah. Um, so now on to our second um, match of the evening or show. Uh, to uh, over to you, uh, Billy. With uh, yeah, what is your first pick? Okay, so my first pick would be um, from CZW's Take One show. It was held in the same place that they held the best of the best tournament last month in Swill, New Jersey. It's basically. Um, a very small hockey building. Um, you probably fit about 400 people in there maximum. That they, they claim that it was a sellout. Well, there was uh, certainly a few seats uh, that were up for taking. Um, but, you know, let's say they probably drew roughly about 350. That's pretty good, really. CZW seemed to be on a bit of an upswing. They've got TV as well. Now, yeah, it's um, whatever a local affiliate, but no, good for them. They've got, got television, but they're still pissing off the New Jersey Athletic Commission uh, with their death match. So they've had to tone it down ever so slightly, and they had to rely on more high-flying wrestlers, hence why they've put the SATs and the Amazing Red taking on three guys who will be making their CZW debut tonight in Brian XL, Chris Devine, and Quiet Storm. Uh, so the match starts out with Jose and Divine having a lock-up. It immediately goes for a Hunican Rana onto Divine. Jose, that is. Divine pops up in onto the middle rope, but gets caught coming off with an arm drag and then a tilt-a-well slam, which was you'll see plenty of those going forward. Both men then trade arm drags and then stand off with one another to cheers because, you know, it's independent wrestling. Of course, they're going to do that. Quite a Storm is in next, along with Joel. Another tilt a well slam and back and forth arm drags to, well, a standing ovation. You know, I think the CZW crowd have uh, finally warmed up to this style of wrestling. Brian and Red are tagged in, respectively. Lots of flips off the ropes. Uh, somewhere, a very young Will Ospreay and Ricochet were taking notes. I'm not <laughs> sure about that. <laughs> A tilt-a-well head scissors by Red to Brian, then a double drop kick by both as the crowd stand in unison and chant CZW, because of course they do. Red tags in Joel, and Jose is in as well. Joel applies a surfboard to Brian, while Jose grabs Brian in a reverse dragon sleeper. So they're using combination moves here, which is uh, been not very rarely seen in the American uh, independent wrestling up until this point. Uh, meanwhile, Red heads up top and goes off with, comes off the top rope with a double foot stomp. Joel, let's go. Uh, of, of Brian, and then Jose continues to apply the dragon sleeper. Sorry, uh, having a bit of trouble describing what goes on here because it's all, all very fast paced and Whatnot. But anyway, Joe Howard continues uh, with a springboard to the top rope, comes off with a leg drop. There's a crowd 
basically comes unglued with an SAT chant. So rather than chanting the company's initials, they're now really getting behind the SAT. Jose nails Brian with an inverted vertical suplex for a two count. Again, innovative stuff. I haven't seen half this stuff in a long, long time. Brian rolls out of the ring and Quiet Storm runs in and takes out both Jose with a tilter well head scissors. A move I've already seen far too much of in this match. Storm then tries to do the same to Red, but Red nails him with a high knee smash. Uh, basically, Daniel Bryan's finisher from WrestleMania 30. Joel drops an elbow, followed by Red and then Jose, so they do the three elbow drops in, in succession. Joel applies a Boston Crab as Jose springboards up to the top rope and comes off with a leg drop down onto a down storm. Red heads up top as Jose, as Joel rolls back with Storm, still in the crab. So Storm is now sort of faced upwards. And Storm, and, uh, and Red comes flying off with a drop kick. Again, that looks like really good, really good stuff. I don't think I've ever seen anyone else do anything that looked like that, looked like that in a, well, since uh, any kind of lucha match, really. It's uh, coming to CZW. Joel gets a two count on Storm because, of course, he does. Storm bows back, sending Red to the outside, and Josie and Joel go flying out on top, uh, out on top of Storm. Storm then gets back up, uh, springboards to the top, and flies off into Jose. With, runs at him with a spear and catches him in midair again. Hadn't seen that in uh, 2001 anywhere. So some innovative stuff going on here. But only gets a two count because, of course, Brian breaks it up. Brian XL, that is. Jose misses a swan time bomb off the top rope, but Chris Devine then heads up and he misses a frog splash. Who cares about the legal man when the action is this damn good? And it really was. And uh, it's a shame that on the commentary, John House or Eric Gordrillo didn't take the time just to say, well, this is being fought under Lucha rules because, you know, there's always going to be that one guy, me, <laughs> that's going to complain about legal man stuff. Uh, Joel misses a 450, while Brian XL misses a moonsault. Miss Red misses a corkscrew moonsault, while Storm misses a diving headbutt. All six men are now down and selling, which is a surprise in this match. Jose is up first, followed by Storm, and Storm nails Jose with a German suplex into a bridge for a near fall. That looked good, great. Fisherman suplex by Joel to Storm for another two count. Devine then nails Joel with a chicken wing German suplex. Again, can't say I've seen that <coughs> for a two count, obviously. Brian is now uh, the last one left. He does a Northern Light suplex for a near fall, which gets hardly any reaction. But after the last couple of moves, who's surprised when a Northern Light suplex gets very little reaction? Joao is back with a fall away slam into a bridge to Brian for a near fall. Then Divine dives out onto Joel. Jose heads up top and Moonsoul's out onto Divine and Joe. Yes, we started that portion of the match where everyone is diving out onto one another. Storm heads out on top and comes crashing down onto Joe. Jose, Joel and Divine with a cannonball. Brian does a springboard Moonsoul out onto all four. Uh, leaving Red alone in the ring, he grabs the chair, sets it up, um, hits the ropes, leaps up onto the chair, onto the top rope, and out and onto 
All five men with a swan time bomb. The crowd is now standing um, and chanting CZW and uh, Red and SAT. Back in the ring, Storm and Red battle back and forth. Storm nails Red with a head trauma for a two count. It's a fucked up package power driver. It looks really bad. But, yeah, it's <laughs> it looks like it's, it will give you head trauma. <clears throat> Jose is in and nails Storm with a double underhook power driver. Brian then nails Jose with a 720 DDT. There you go, Adam. That's for Jody Fleisch there from... Brian XL, and then does a big 450 leg drop for a two count. Joe breaks up the fall, because of course he does. Joe grabs Brian and drops him with a package power bomb, but Divine breaks up the fall. Divine is cut off by Red, who drops him with a Samoan driver for a two. Again, a really weird spot. It wasn't innovative or anything, so why have it in this match? I don't know. <laughs> Storm nails Joel with a handspring elbow smash in the corner. But then Joel is no selling because, of course, <laughs> he's no selling. And Storm then nails Joel with a German suplex. Then Red and Jose and Joel all nails Storm with a move, which is uh, <clears throat> three different leg drops in a row. Joel drops an elbow and Red does a red star press, but Bride and Divine break up the celebrations with a pair of springboard drop kicks to the back of Jose and Joe's head. Divine nails Red with a spine buster, but does not cover him. Storm and Divine hoist Red up onto their shoulders as Brian goes up top and flies off with a drop kick. No cover again, which really isn't a surprise, but they all do the same. As the SAT and Red did moments ago, Divine and Brian dive out onto Joel and Jose, who are on the opposite sides of the ring, but get caught with a chair from chair to the head from the brothers. Back in the ring, SAT set up Storm and nail him with a Spanish flyer, while Red from the other side of the ring comes off, flying with a 6.30 splash for the 1, 2 and 3. So did anyone else watch this match or was it just me? Don't oh. watch High Spot Fest. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I watched it and I, I I was tired watching it and blimey, well done, Billy, for recapping all of that because that that was an effort and a half. Well done. Well, I had to stop yeah. it like every twenty seconds. <laughs> I don't blame you. I must, uh, imagine it took it took a while, a lot of rewatching and watching to make sure you got as much of it in. And I think you covered virtually everything. I can't think of what you, anything you missed. And yeah. Great, great match. I think I'm kind of on on your page, and I kind of agree with you. The that first five minutes of the sort of mutual respect flipping, as I put it, where they just flip mm. out, have a handshake, move on, is is nice. It looks nice, but I just don't see what what that gives to the match or anything. It just gets it's just done for the CCW chance, which I can't say I'm massively a fan of. No, no. But, but yeah, once once they actually once they actually got down to to the match itself, yeah. But, very good and stuff. Um, Red, I've seen, I've seen sort of his stuff going forward, like the stuff he does in in TNA and stuff. And similarly with with SAT, I've seen a, a little bit of their stuff. Didn't know the other team at all, but very impressed with them. Wouldn't mind seeing some of their stuff stuff again. Adam, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I I quite enjoyed it. just um, the background of this match. Are either of them supposed to be heels? Is there, There's no psychology in this whatsoever, Adam. Just yeah, I, <laughs> <don't you believe laughs> okay, that's fine. It's just, it's just 
It's just um, I, I, think... I, was trying to, I was trying to sort of follow the match. I was like, is there supposed hmm. to be heels or baby faces? Because I mean, I like he could be kind of heelish, and the SAT they triple team at points, but that does just. I mean, as as a as a sport fest, yeah, it's great fun, and these guys do it all very well. I mean, there's a couple of points that I sort of looked at, and I was like, that doesn't really achieve anything. Like, um, at one point, both two guys backflips off the ropes into the match just to look at each other, and that just, I don't know, that was just one of those moments of, well, surely... Well, one guy does that, the other guy could just dump him out of the ring. That would, but, you know, um, I, in fairness, I, um, when I was younger, I, I, I did have an affinity for the SAT and Amazing Red, which is, yeah. um, because of matches just like this. Um, I think the, the first time I probably saw Red was that match you had with Loki in, in the early TNA pay-per-views and the oh, SAT yeah. would have, would have been around the same sort of time. And, you know, I was, what, they were doing stuff that I'd not really seen before at that point, which is what drew me to them. And, I, and while I believe one of the Maximos is, has done some terrible things as a promoter, as wrestlers, um, I... Uh, yes, I'm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's why they don't get along now, Jose and Joel. I think it's um, Joel was a bit of a bastard from what I've uh, read online. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, the matches, I, I still... You know, because they, they still, I still sort of find them entertaining, and I still think, and I still, and most of what they do in their matches, I sort of look and go, well, yeah, they're trying to, they're trying to do things that look like they'll actually hurt, especially, and you know, they're obviously they're, uh, the SAT, especially much smaller guys than a lot of other wrestlers, so stuff that they're doing in those matches make sense for them to do because it's a case of they they're not going to be able to slam it all the other guys around because they're not they physically at least vis- visually don't have that size to do that so yeah the flips and stuff it works very well for them um yeah i mean i, we got to I think mean, about it adam like at the time no one else was doing this and like, yeah like i said that's what's just that's so why different I, that's why I still, that's why i still have a soft spot uh, for yeah. these guys, yeah. I'd say the closest it comes to to seeing anything like beforehand, as, it, as in sort of pre two thousand and one, would be the sort of six man luchas throwaway kind of matches you'd see on on Nitro. So yeah. they wouldn't even go to the extent of what they did here, really, would they? they it would be like a five no, minute no, match. This is further. This is sort of and a bit more sort of physical and stuff. But in terms, especially. So in terms of the sort of in and out sort of flip spot to spot sort of linking kind of stuff, it, it, it did remind me of that. But no, I think this definitely had a sort of bit more sort of a meat to it, especially like the the, the final sort of the final closing sort of stages of the match definitely sort of had more to it than than those matches in WCW did. But uh, I can see that where you can if you I reckon if you ask the guys at the time sort of who they were sort of looking up to or, or inspired by you. If they'd said Mysterio, um, Guerrero, et al., you, you wouldn't be surprised. Mm. It sort of felt a lot like that, but then they've taken that and then, yeah, uh, put, yeah, innovative and strong sort of throughout. So once, I'll say, once it got past the, the mutual respect sort of stages, then, yeah, definitely a lot of moves and 
uh, I hadn't seen or had seen variations of in that in that style. So yeah, it's good to see um, moves that. And then, like I say, I haven't seen them even like in today's sort of wrestling. I watch. You'd think like uh, if you watch stuff like uh, NXT or or sort of maybe AEW, you'd probably see similar spots like this. But I honestly hadn't for a lot of things like this. Well, you can see where mm. obviously the young bucks and um, whatnot have been getting their <laughs> ideas from certain spots. I, I think it's a it's a bit of a crying shame because uh, the SAT sort of disappear by two thousand and four and aren't really um, booked in Ring of Honor or any of the independent promotions. Uh, they have a massive falling out and. I, I, you know, the same with Reg goes on to bigger and better things. It, uh, unfortunately, he does get that knee injury in 2003 and it sort of cuts him off and he doesn't, um, isn't a name on the indie scene until he comes back. I think it's like 2008 after that knee injury. That He's never quite the same again. And it's, it's a shame that the SATs don't and Red, well, Red more so. He does get a lot of praise from Osprey, Ricochet, the Motor City Machine Guns, the Bucks, all those guys, you know, for the innovative style that he did, but not so much for the SATs, but I get it, you know, I know he's a, they're a bit of bastards and everything, but you know, I still think that those guys should, uh, you know, get a little bit of praise for what they were doing back in 2001. It was, it was just so different and yeah, he didn't have to make no fucking sense because it just looked incredible and, um, it would definitely make you want to go out of a way to buy a tape um, yeah. back then to just to see what they were they were doing because from the reports like on the forums and everything for people who went live it was it, it was an incredible experience and um, you know um, this this match would basically be duplicated um, many times over on the independent scene especially in early ROH because uh, well, obviously the SATs go there and same with Red and you know, all these guys and whatnot. So, uh, you know, definitely going to be looking forward to watching more of these. But um, it, it, to me, it's a small little piece of history on on that part of independent wrestling. So, and uh, like I said, I just don't think the SAT gets the recognition they should. Uh, no, like I say, I, you, you rarely hear about them sort of these days. I mean, I say that Red, you hear Red get mentioned here, here and there when, when uh, today's wrestlers are talking about who they were watching sort of gro- growing up and such. But yeah, n- nothing much from from for SA, SAT, possibly because of sort of their reputation now. But yeah, no one's going back to sort of to sort of championing them. And maybe I guess this is this is where this podcast sort of comes in to finding the, the, the those who are doing the innovative things back then. And sort of giving them another sort of um, limelight to, to or a torch to shine on them to, to show people who maybe like myself who hadn't watched uh, things like this how good they were then and remind us of um, how good they were. Okay, that just leaves uh, one more match for round one, and that's with me. And so going from the sort of high flying sort of technical side that we've had in the past two matches, I'm gonna. Change the sort of change that slightly with you're uh, gonna drag it all down, aren't you, Dan? You're gonna drag us all down. Hey, no, come on <laughs> to not, a level that we just don't want to go to. <laughs> I'm not saying dragging down, or I'm not, I'm just saying changing, just changing the scenery somewhat. 
Mm. As I mentioned at the start, at the start of this, this is a show full of uh, uh, diverse matches and so forth. So I say you can't always have. Uh, there's no point in having six wait. high spot classic fests, is there? Really? Exactly. On, exactly. So, so to, yeah. like I say, to change the scenery, not to bring it up or down, is my <laughs> is my pick, which is from NFW's Methods of Madness. I, the research, I am loving some of the names of the, the, the shows that people bring up, uh, which is from uh, Robbins, North Carolina. I, I did a little bit of research, a, a town that has a population of 1,200 at the time. So, yeah, uh, there's only 1,200 people in the town. So they only managed to entice around about sort of 50 people to the local sports hall, it seemed. I think it's like, yeah, where, wherever they have... Anything that happens in that town happens in this hall, I imagine, whether it be a county fair, a bake sale, anything, all happens here. But yeah, judging by sort of the, just the rows and rows of nothingness, it seemed like, yeah, I, I'm going to go with 50 people at this amazing event. And the match I've gone for is an intergender match. So I think a, f- a first for us between uh, Sean Lee. And Alexis Lurie, who you better better known now as uh, Mickey James, that's probably that's the reason. So I picked this. A intergender matches is quite still quite rare even today. And then to see uh, Mickey James in again doing a little bit of research was pretty much one of her first matches. She had a few matches in sort of ninety nine two thousand, but but they were sort of very few and far between. And then it only resuits she only re sort of started having matches regularly in May of 2001. So, yeah, we're in, like, maybe match 10 of her, what is now an illustrious sort of career, going over a 1,000 matches, now according to Cage Match. Anyway, let's get on with it. So, Sean Lee comes out first with a lovely-looking waistcoat and cowboy hat combination. It reminded me a little bit of uh, Chris Hamrick, for those who are watching ECW Tour at the end. And um, you can tell straight away he's the... Sort of de facto heel. He was the sort of yeah, mouthing off, just generally sort of doing all the classic sort of house show heelish work. Out comes uh, Alexis next with a brilliant sort of silver road warrior shoulder pads kind of look. But then once that's off, it's just into sort of generic work again. Basically, if she was a kind of like a, a young boy in in uh, New Japan with this classic sort of black tights, that was basically her version of that. Just simple black workout gear for her and on to the match uh, before, before any interactions uh, Alexis starts, starts clapping to get the crowd involved uh, Crowd, yeah, those sitting down ringside involved with a few people sort of getting involved joining in with the clapping and then on to the match itself so Coronel will tie up quickly into arm, arm bar and arm work by Sean reversed into uh, arm bar of by Alexis Solid sort of foundation opening. You can tell this is early in probably both of their careers with uh, Colorado types, arm bars and sort of drop downs and so forth. At this point, so, um, I quickly noticed that the referee had a striking resemblance to Guy Fieri. So that kind of distracted me a little bit, but never mind. Um, Sean then back to Lexington into the corner with a few chops and then um, punches, sort of cleanish break and then Alexis reverses the chops of her own. Sean bails to the outside of this, mouthing off to the fans in his heel style. Alexis then comes off the 
uh, top with a splash to, to the outside, which is sort of a great spot for someone so you, sort of junior in their career to, to hit straight away. Punches on the outside, throws Sean back in, and um, but then Sean reverses, hitting a what looks like a kind of a, a side effect for just the one count as he pulls up Alexis. Uh, reverses a, a DDT attempt from Alexis to hit a spine buster and pulls Alexis up at two. You can tell he's sort of playing to the crowd here. Referee asking, "Why aren't you pinning? Uh, why aren't you finishing the match?" Uh, Sean sort of mouthing off, saying, "I'm not finished yet. I want to do out more punishment." So he does that with a variety of different suplexes, including a couple of fisherman plexes and and another sort of almost Mishinoku driver type move to for another two. But then rather than kick out, Sean pulls up again. I can see where this is sort of going in this respect that the heels not going for the win, not going for the win, and will probably end up paying for it at the end. But let's see. So, um, Sean then goes up to the top to try and maybe finish off the match, but Lexus hits the ropes, Sean landing uh, groin first on the top rope, much to the joy of the few fans in attendance. Lexus goes up to the top herself and uh, hits a Hurricane Rana, which looked so again, really good. Um, and then hits uh, what was basically kind of satisfaction, kind of foreshadowing the future for, for Mickey James there with her feud with Trish Stratus in, in a few years' time. But again, looked look really good. Um, Sean then goes for a backdrop attempt, but that's telegraphed, and Alexis hits the tornado DDT that she tried earlier, and this time hits the three. After the match, uh, Sean argues with the ref, and the ref has none of it, and hits a stunner, which was something out of the blue but and looked pretty good maybe the maybe the ref should have been wrestling instead of instead of Sean who knows but um but yeah a decent sort of basic match I think as I said I look back in the um at her at Mickey James or Alexis Lurie's uh history and see that this was like a really early match and you could tell that was an early match for her but not necessarily in a bad way I think um you could just tell that they were going through sort of the fundamentals of a sort of a kind of a generic heel versus face match with playing off. And I think Sean Lee, who I've never heard of, never seen before, I think he did a, a good job at sort of getting things over and um, yeah, played his part well. Chaps, your thoughts? Do we know if the referee was a wrestler? Because that ending is really weird if he wasn't. Yeah, I, I don't know. Do you think maybe he was playing up to the sort of the ECW thing of like the referees getting involved? Like sticking up for themselves type thing that you'd see the ECW referee doing. Probably, probably uh, was a, re- a wrestler himself. Could have been one of those cases that maybe not been enough people on the show or something. So they had a ref. Like he was a referee at some point, and then later on he'd be, come out and be a wrestler. But yeah, I couldn't find out much about this show in general. And Matt, how it came up on on YouTube, I don't know. But, but there we go. Billy, your thoughts. Thank God to the Indie Wrestling Archive for unearthing this classic. Uh, no, no, it was it was it was basic. Um, you know, Alexis had barely what she had like twenty matches at this point. I, yeah, I, I think it may be even less than that. Or going by what's on cage match, and by the way, this match wasn't on cage match, so there could have been a few okay. hidden ones that that hadn't been reported. But yeah, I think according to cage match, yeah, very few, or at least. The, if it was 20, the last sort of 10 of those would have been recently, and before then it was very sporadic in the part, in like the year or so beforehand. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. Um, I've never heard of Sean Lee before, and 
He played the generic hill and not shocked really. The the crowd, what all fifteen of them? <laughs> let's, let's be fair. I say I, I've rounded it up to fifty. I think I think I counted like two or three rows, and I sort of added for those we didn't see on the other side of the, on the other side of the camera. I've given I've given a little bit of sort of creative license to some maths there. <laughs> Maybe this promotion was able to use CGI and put a couple of extra people in there. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but I, no, I watched the show, show where the venue was completely green. And I was like, well, if we don't draw today, you know, we could uh, just have the editors just work some CGI yeah. magic. Some early thunderdoming <laughs> at work. Yeah, so why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no... Um, I've I've never seen this match before, and I'll probably never ever watch it again because it was just very basic. But um, it it was it was a find that I never expected to to see, and um, I wouldn't say I wasted eight minutes of my life, but you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't all that bad. You know, you, you can see Alexis. There's something there with her. Sean, probably not. Nothing, I don't think, ever comes of him. Who knows? Maybe he works under a hood as someone else these days. I, I don't know. But, um, no, it, it was just something I didn't expect to see on in this project. I, I, I sort of thought about what matches I want to cover um, until the end of the year, which... <laughs> but, um, no, this is just... It was, it was nice to watch something I'd never seen before, and well done, Dan, for, for unearthing it. Yeah, yeah, I can say I was. Um, I said last month that I was going to uh, maybe sort of stick to NWA and things like that. And then I, the OVW show that we uh, talked about earlier, those are, probably would have been my picks had there been anything to pick from. But yeah, it took a little bit more sort of digging and sort of looking under some rocks. But yeah, I, I'd say I enjoyed it. I, it. It wasn't. It didn't. It was. Inoffensive, like not excite, not really exciting. Nothing sort of massive to take from it, but just to see someone who's been in the business for as long as she has now, with Mickey James starting out, just sort of an interesting sort of reason to pick it, I guess. Adam, any more thoughts from yourself? It's really random, actually. Just just as we went to take this, um, Mickey actually retweeted like a highlight package someone had put on. Had made for her, and footage from this match was in it. It was really, oh wow! It was, just, it was really weird. It was just really weird timing. I sort of noticed that just uh, just before I joined the call. Um, but yeah, you could, it's obvious she's she's not that far into her career because the psychology of this match is just horrible. I'm, I mean, there's other stuff she does in the match for that that irritate me, but that was just down to inexperience and it's stuff that you know over time she's. Uh, she's played. I mean, one thing I, for for such an early match, her, her ring gear is really good. If you look, watch, you look at a lot of early matches of a lot of people, their gear just looks atrocious. So to be fair, yeah, I think I think it's something that she's probably made herself or something like that. But or I, yeah, I wouldn't mind sort of if so, anyone gets to it ever in, interview her, ask her ask her about this if she if she remembers them. But, um, but yeah, like I say, it's sort of a basic sort of generic sort of workout gear in, in the all black that she was actually wearing for the match. But yeah, those those spikes sort of stood out. And it's probably something like that that gets you sort of stood out on these sort of small indie shows. If you if you stand out in your entrance and then have a few decent moves, like I say, the the satisfaction looked all right. The 
Hurricane Rana from the top looked fine, considering it's like, say, early on in her career to be doing things like that. And that's probably how she kind of got, got noticed. Now. Well, I've not sort of read a biography or anything of her to find out how she got picked up. But it's, it's probably things like that that would get you noticed. I mean, and also, that, I think those. Uh, I also think those um, naughty pictures that she did around this time probably got her a lot more attention than this match. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, this, I'm not completely unrelated. Really, this this matches like this are, are fine. If it, you know, if matches with green people, green guys in front of small crowds of people is where you get the experience. You know. You, you know, if you're working shows that aren't that great, the only, your best route off of them is to get better. And I think it's fair to say Mickey James has got a lot better since this, this match. And, you know, work, although she probably doesn't really think about this match, working this match and other matches like this has probably helped her, helped her out no end in, in the long term just because she, was given opportunities to try stuff in front of these small crowds and was like, no, that, that's not something I'll do again. And, oh, maybe, a, and if you watch it back, she's like, oh, instead, maybe I could have done this. It's not a match I would have sought out, but it's not one I'm, I'm offended you showed me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that, I think, I think that, I think that might be sort of partially my, my remit going, going forward. I mean, you, you both have experience in watching, uh, this sort of time period in terms of the indies and the and the UK scene. So I think so. You guys may know roughly what you're going to pick when things are. Whereas I'm going into it sort of pretty pretty much blind. So if I can find something that that neither of you were expecting, I think I'm, I'm fulfilling my my role in in this in this team. And Dan, you did that tremendously this month, especially with your second pick, mate. Oh, <laughs> that's that's a that's a lovely one that yeah you'll you'll hear about soon. I can't believe it. Is he, 
Okay, uh, on to a new feature for us now is our uh, listeners' vote. Okay, the people's match where each month uh, the three of us will pick a third match, put it out on the socials for you to vote on, and then the winner of that uh, poll will be a match picked by yourselves, basically, that we will all watch and and review. And uh, this month we had um, Rodney Mack versus Cannon in a dog collar match. Uh, another Mickey James match, her match against Persephone, and uh, the winner was Christopher Daniels versus Lance Storm, which I think really surprised none of us when we put that forward as a as a match to vote on. I can understand wholeheartedly why why 62% voted for that one. Uh, that match was picked by by Billy, so he, it's over to him to to cover that for us. Over to you, Billy. Okay, so this was. Um... <clears throat> a part of a Stampede Wrestle Centre card in um, Nova Scotia, Halifax, in Canada. Lance Storm, who has recently just joined the WWF. This would be his last independent appearance. And he would uh, be taking on a very young and a man with some hair called Christopher Daniels. Uh, don't think much come of him. But anyway... Um, to open up the match, Daniels uh, was out first, and he comes out and he immediately grabs the microphone, and he talks about how when the WWF purchased WCW, that Lance was WWF's first draft pick for Team WCW. Um, I, I don't know where he got that from, but you know, perfectly fine hill heat there. Uh, and he was going to show the world tonight. Why Vince McMahon had made a mistake in picking Lance as his first draft pick, and he should have been the first draft pick. Uh, obviously, Storm then comes out, and um, just want to sort of put that out there. Long live the Alliance! <laughs> <laughs> you can hear more about that on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast on... Uh, at the end of the month. <laughs> Are you sure? Okay. Right, get back to it. Lance uh, comes out to a hero's ovation because, of course, the Canadian crowd is very much behind Lance. Uh, the bell rings and then Daniels poses. He goes up to the second rope and poses to sounds of booze, which is no shocker here whatsoever. It seems like that sort of crowd that was going to be easily... Um, made to, for that reaction. 
And then Storm gets up on the middle rope and poses himself to a massive ovation. Uh, both men then lock up. Storm backs Daniels into a corner. Both men exchange go-behinds and Lance applies a headlock on Daniels. But Daniels powers out and sends Lance into the ropes. But Lance bounces off with a perfectly placed elbow smash. Lance whips Daniels off the ropes. But Daniels comes back with a hip toss. And then both men square off to a polite applause from the crowd. It's independent wrestling. Of course they're going to do that. Both men exchange holds. Go back and forth. As two guys in the front row talk about how natural and smooth Storm is. In fact, you can hear these two have a conversation throughout the entire match, and you can also hear the commentators, because this was recorded by a fan on a fan cam. This is uh, 2021 fan cam matches uh, getting released on YouTube. It's a great world we live in. The action spills to the outside, and Lance chases Daniels around ringside. Back in the ring, Daniels puts the boots to Storm, and then <coughs> whips him over into the corner with some chops. So he works him over in the corner with some chops, but Lance counters it into some chops of his own. Daniels goes for a waist lock, but Storm then does a standing switch. But Daniels rakes the eyes and sends Storm's shoulder first into the ring post. Daniels begins to work over the shoulder as the announcers announce that five minutes have elapsed. He never did that at the ten minute point, but he certainly did at the five minute point. Daniels continues to work over the shoulder to the crowd's displeasure. Daniels telegraphs the back body drop and nails Storm with a single arm DDT for a two count. Arm ringer by Daniels into a hammerlock and Daniels drops his knee over into Storm's shoulder and arm. Daniels then pops up and busts out the best moonsault ever for a two count before they were even calling it the best moonsault ever. Daniels continues to work over Storm, but Storm battles back with a shoulder tackle, which he sells the effects of, and Daniels then quickly kicks him in the shoulder. That was some nice ring psychology by Storm. Daniels applies an abdominal stretch. After a little rest, Storm battles back with a drop kick. Both men exchange left and right. Then Storm nails Daniels with a drop kick and a clothesline. Storm does the ten punches in the corner spot. Daniels barely sells the effects as he fights back and hits Storm with, well, I, I can't remember the name of the move, but um, what I've got written down here makes no sense, so we'll just forget about that. It, it, it went for a near fall. They fuck up the electric chair spot, <coughs> but Daniels and Storm quickly go back to it, and Daniels drops Storm with the electric chair for another near fall. Storm hits Daniels with a jawbreaker and a big slam for a near fall. Daniels applies the bow and arrow, but Storm battles out. Daniels rushes Storm, but Storm counters it into a Calgary Crab. That looked really good. But Daniels reaches the ropes and sends Storm to the outside. Storm hooks back up to the hops back up to the ring apron and onto the top rope and comes off with a plancher. Daniels reverses it for a near fall. I actually thought that was going to be the finish, so they had me then. Storm goes for a super kick, but Daniels ducks. Both men go back and forth, ducking each other's swings. Then out of nowhere, Storm nails Daniels with a super kick for the one, two, and three. Thank you very much, listeners. That was actually quite an enjoyable match. Thank you for picking it in the poll. And, uh, yeah, I was, it was, it was a simple, 
nice little match and uh, it had the right result with Storm going over. I don't think Daniels really needed the win. Wasn't going to do any harm to his credibility to lose to Lance Storm in that way. So, and then just one more thing: long live the Alliance. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Oh, I um, Storm's website actually uh, years ago put up a uh, commentary actually discussing uh, this whole tour because he actually did um, a tour across I think uh, across four dates and he worked with Daniels on each of those dates. It's okay. certainly certainly an interesting read because um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting look at uh, what it's like working with the uh, with Bruce Hart, who, if I, I don't know if anyone here has read Brett's book, but Brett, oh yes, had yes, you, it's you know it sort of falls in line with the sort of thing Brett says about Bruce in, in his book because the last match of this tour, I don't know whether it's this one or possibly there was one after they um, was also the same night as uh, the King of the Ring pay per view. And apparently, okay. and apparently, uh, they were going to have Lance there working as part of working um, an angle as part of the alliance. But to, so he had to so he so it was Bruce and Ross who were co-promoting this. So he was, he was talking with Ross and he said, I, "I I don't know if I can do the last date because I've got the pay per view and they're like, no, it's fine, we can work something out." Apparently, Bruce almost. Bruce got him into trouble because he phoned Johnny Ace and was like, "What the hell is this? Why? Why is one of my talent not working my show?" And oh Jesus, Bruce! <laughs> so yeah, um, I, I think that actually got Lance pulled from King of the Ring and possibly even the Raw the night after at Madison Square Garden. So yeah, this... oh no, <laughs> he fucked him big time. Bruce <laughs> being Bruce. Oh, he's... oh yes. <laughs> So yeah, it was. So while Lance enjoyed, you know, the series of matches with Daniels, he he does have a bit of a sour taste in his mouth over over having to deal with Bruce Hart to get get that series of matches done. I mean, the match itself, um, yeah, I I I enjoyed it. it was a fairly great match between two guys who I I mean, Daniels at this point was uh, fairly experienced. He'd, he'd been around. About seven or eight years. Because he started on. in '95, so yeah, he certainly had the experience at that point, and he had a bit of a tenure in WCW as well. Yeah, he also um, hey, he'd been on a he'd been a te- been on a WWF pay per view and even held a WWF tag team title as part of Lost Conquistadors. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this was a this was a a, a good match certainly. I think um, when you see Storm versus Daniels on in a match, you kind of know what you're, you're going to get, and I, we kind of got what we were going to get. But that's not mm-hmm. a bad thing. That that was it was all sort of technically good. Yeah, that was that um, box you know, electric chair spot. But outside of outside of that, perfectly solid and yeah, enjoyable throughout if not massively the most exciting thing in the world compared to what we've already seen uh, earlier on. It's, uh, so well, we, that was definitely a fan cam that we got because otherwise yeah. I'm, 
I'm just going to rag on. Otherwise, I'll start doing my usual rag of terrible audio quality, which weirdly the, the best audio quality is on out of the matches we have with commentary is probably the match that I like the least on this podcast, which we'll come to very shortly. Yeah. <laughs> well, Joe... Dombrowski was doing the commentary and you could sort of hear him over the two fans that were talking to one another. And then you could see yeah. the camera in front of the guy that was filming it on his, well, I wouldn't say it was phone. It was uh, obviously a little handheld camera. Yeah, I wanted a bit of phone in 2001. Oh, God, no. <laughs> no. Such weird resolution and, yeah. Not many Nokia 3310s with cameras. <laughs> <laughs> playing Snake instead. <laughs> the greatest game of all time. But, um, I'm but sure yeah. Bruce was doing that in the back. <laughs> yeah. Really. But no, uh, thank, thanks Billy A for picking it and then thanks uh, listeners for, for voting it in. Uh, part of me wouldn't mind, wouldn't mind seeing another Mickey James match and also seeing the, the, the uh, what I uh, remember sort of from our Discussions of a bit of a train wreck in a dog collar match, but uh, oh yeah, that dog collar maybe, match. <laughs> maybe that's that's for another time. Who, who, who knows? But but yeah, maybe, maybe it's for the best. It's it's it was certainly interesting booking, but it's not something. It's something that we'll just have to we'll just have to leave leave be for now. Yeah, one one for anyone to. To search out if they if they so wish I guess, but um, but yeah, uh, another listener uh, poll coming coming your way on on the social soon, so so look out for that and and yeah we'll see what we're we've been dealt to to view uh, next month. Hopefully it's another another good one. But knowing how the internet works, sometimes maybe we'll be uh, given something not so nice. But it's, it's up to us to, to pick pick something that we want to kind of watch and then put it out to the to the fans. Maybe one day, sort of down the line, we might just ask for an open submission and see what see what we see what we're given from the listeners. Barbarian hey. versus Tony Atlas, probably. <laughs> Calm down, we're not in the main event yet. <laughs> a couple more matches to go. Um, back back to you, Adam, for your for your second choice. Um, yeah, so I was toying around with a couple of different. Matches to do for my for my second choice because um, there's a few Noah matches, but I don't really know enough about uh, Japanese wrestling to really have offered up a, an opinion on it. The match I went with was uh, a ladder match from Impact Championship Wrestling in New York. Or oh, as I, it was called then, Adam, it was Ultimate Championship Wrestling. Sorry to be that guy, yeah. but you know, <laughs> fine. Uh, yeah, so they were, so we've got Loki and Xavier in a, in a ladder match here. Uh, I was, cause I was thinking about maybe doing their match from the month before for the previous podcast, but we're trying to keep subscription matches down and I couldn't find the match for free. Um, but it is up on, uh, it's not high spots, unfortunately. It's a different subscription service that currently escapes me. But the result the of that match. television. Internet, independent wrestling television. No, not that one either. Uh, yeah, well, the title match have it as well, don't they? But uh, independent wrestling it has was, the, the entire show oh, as well. 
Okay, but yeah, but yes, you know, it was title match, yeah. Um, yes. But yes, so these guys, like I said, they had a match at the previous show and it, there was a disputed finish, so the title was held up. And when you hold up a title, what, what better way yeah, to uh, to do it literally than, than in a ladder match? So, without further ado, let's uh, go on to the match analysis. Uh, so, this was from uh, Last Stand at the Elks Lodge. Uh, weird title for a show, considering they would run at the Elks Lodge for, I believe, the next three or four years. Even though they kept uh, I, saying on the commentary that it was the last show ever in the Elks Lodge. <laughs> Well, I think there are a lot of Elks Lodges uh, in the New York area, so it may have been different Elks Lodges they were running. Okay. Um, but yes, uh, so I I don't have a, an attendance figure for this, and with the camera angles, it, it's hard to give an accurate um, estimate. So I, unless you guys have, have any knowledge that I don't, I, I can't really offer anything up to that, but... It, but I would say there was a minimum of, of 200 people there, quite possibly more. Yeah, so, yeah, I think it was about 300 max that they can get in there for a wrestling show. So, Yeah, OK. OK, so starting out, uh, Xavier is out first. Um, he's announced as formerly from New York, now hailing from somewhere better, depending on what part of New York he was originally from. That could be any number of places. Loki's music starts and there's a Loki chant before he even actually makes it out the out the entranceway. Uh, at this point, I noticed the ring announcer is wearing a mock ECW shirt. I guess that's one way of establishing your intended audience. There's a shoving match right at the start that leads to slaps, that leads to punching, that leads to Xavier getting fired off the headlock but hitting shoulder block. Uh, before he can do anything, Loki kicks him in the ear. Uh, Loki fires off some cho- uh, chops and hits the ropes. Uh, Xavier goes to press him, but Loki slips out only to run into a clothesline. Xavier stomps him on the map, but as soon as he turns his back, Loki trips him, but Xavier beats him on him before he can get back up and backs him into the corner. Loki dodges a charge and whips Xavier into the corner, only for Xavier to move when he attempts a somersault kick, so Loki just kicks him in the back of the head instead. Uh, Xavier trips <coughs> As he goes for the ladder and they scrap in the ring, Xavier pulls him out to into a turnbuckle face first and slams him so he can get to the ladder. On the outside, they scrap some more. Xavier throws Loki back in the ring so he can pick up the ladder. Instead of taking it into the ring, he takes around the side of the ring and puts it between the apron and, and the guardrail. Loki then drags him onto the apron where they scrap some more. They fight onto the ladder. And to be fair, that ladder is holding up fairly resiliently with both of them fighting on top of it. And Loki throws Xavier into the guardrail. Loki moves the ladder onto the apron, gets in the ring as he goes to grab the ladder. Xavier cuts him off. Uh, Xavier then puts the ladder on its side. I'm guessing so Loki can hit him with a baseball slide. Woo! That is ten points to me. Hopefully that's the stagiest spot of the match. Uh, It's mostly been solid so far up to this point. Uh, Xavier attacks... Loki as he sets up the ladder and beats him down. Loki fights out of a neck breaker attempt but ends up taking an overhead suplex on the ladder which is fallen against the ropes. He even sells it as well. Uh, Loki drops the ladder. Uh, sorry, Xavier drops the ladder on Loki from above. Uh, I'm 
amazingly after being stomped into the canvas, the ladder still looks to be set up just fine. Uh, Xavier climbs only for Loki to get up and pull his tights down, moon in the crowd. Uh, he then ties Xavier up in the tree of woe style and hits the three kicks with the floor slap. Those shots look vicious. Not quite as vicious as Loki just throwing the ladder at Xavier, which he does a couple of times here as well. Uh, Xavier uses the corner to get him up, but Zoke, uh, Loki charges, lodging the ladder in the ropes like a platform. With uh, Xavier behind the ladder, Loki works him over with some more kicks because he's hardly going to do it with algebra problems. <laughs> Loki looks like uh, he's setting some, something up on the ladder platform that he's set up, but a low blow stops us from seeing what it was. Uh, Xavier hits a jumping powerbomb onto the ladder for a holy shit charm. Given the fact this venue is owned by a religious group, I question how appropriate that is from the crowd, but moving on. Uh, Xavier rolls out and finds another ladder under the ring, and then he sets it up across the apron and the guardrail. Uh, a small Sabusa chant has started, which is odd, because he's not actually on this show tonight. Attempt at another album leads to Xavier being backdropped back into the ring. He goes to super, uh, suplex Loki into the ring, but Loki reverses and drops him on the ladder. Uh, Loki drags the second ladder in the ring, sets it up in the crowd up behind him as he sort of climbs up. Xavier and Loki drag each other off the ladder. Xavier goes for a pump handle, but Loki reverses it into a dragon sleeper. Uh, Xavier flips out using the ladder, but gets kicked in the head for his troubles. Uh, let's be honest, whatever he does, he should probably just expect to get kicked really hard right now. It's a Loki match after all. Um, he belly to backs Loki off the ladder and both guys are suffering right now he hits Loki with two kicks and slaps the floor I'm guessing he would also tug on Superman's cape and spit into the wind if he had the chance yep Loki ducks and slaps on the dragon clutch when Xavier tries for that third kick uh, Xavier back drops out of a key crusher and Loki is on the floor Xavier climbs the ropes and hits Really nice looking springboard. Osai rolling Loki back in. Loki backs him into the corner and works him over before laying the ladder on the canvas with the intention of a superplex. Uh, Loki just kicks him off the ropes, of course. Uh, and then tries for a tornado DDT, uh, but Xavier sort of fights out of it and just gets DDT'd anyway. Some more kicks in the corner, but Xavier you know, manages to fight out with a pump handle face buster. Both scale the ladder at the same time and scrap at the top. Uh, Loki falls down but still dumps Xavier from the ground before throwing the ladder at him. The ladder set up once again uh, and a kick to Xavier because at this point you're not expecting anything else. With Loki at the top of the ladder, Xavier knocks both the ref and the ladder over. Once more, both scale up the ladder and a sunset flip powerbomb brings both back to earth. Uh, fighting back up, Xavier hits a neck breaker and uh, the ref is back up. Xavier climbs the ladder, but isn't close to the belt, so he just hits a 450 instead. I think he stubbed his knee on that one, looking at the way he's selling. And he must have scraped his head, because he's, he's started bleeding. Both ladders are side by side, and both guys scale them to the top, so Loki can log on the, that lock in the dragon clutch. Ref climbs the ladder, so he can be knocked down by Loki, and, and Loki grabs the belt. Both guys grab crash to the canvas with the belt landing on Xavier so the ref decides he's the winner until a second referee comes in and waves it off uh, with the 
belt back up on the in the rafters. Xavier knocks one ref off of the ladder onto the other one and starts trading punches with Loki. He gets out of a key crusher, only to be met with a spin kick. Loki sits at the top of the ladder and Xavier goes for something only for Loki to guess hit a kind of key crusher thing from the top of the to the floor. Loki manages to recover, sets up the ladder and, and climbs to grab the belt. Uh, all the wrestlers from the back come out to celebrate with Loki and raise him up on their shoulder and the crowd chants his name. As the rest of the wrestlers leave, Loki offers his hand to Xavier. Xavier just throws up the X signal and bails out of the ring. So, what did we make of the match? Well, first off, an- another well done for me for, for covering a, a match full of uh, action that w- went on for, for quite a while. So, you well done for getting it all covered and fitting it all in because that was that was a lot to take in. Um, for me, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was sort of heart hitting, sort of very sort of varied throughout, um, and sort of unlike many sort of the ladder matches that we're sort of attuned to watching these days. I think it was very sort of very a very sort of different style ladder match and but we also welcomed the 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 difference to you know, say the matches I'm now used to seeing now. So Yeah, I think um with this I I've intentionally I've done two ladder matches in, in two months and both of them one thing I've definitely noticed is the lack of ladders in them. Um, I think you know, there, there was originally only one ladder in this one and then one more cropped up from un- under the ring and I believe there was a similar situation last month as well. It, it does kind of irritate me just the amount of ladders that are brought into some of the... I mean, the TLC matches, I, I excuse it slightly more because they're supposed to be spectacles, but a regular ladder match, you don't need more one, maybe two ladders just in, in case one breaks. But yeah, and a lot of indie promotions still use that, which I I do quite like. So yeah, I love this match. Um, obviously, I'd heard about it back in two thousand and one on the Death Valley Driver Forum because I heard about a lot of these matches back then from that forum. Um, and it took me four years to finally track it down, but um, at, was at International Showdown in Coventry, and um, I was at the Outcast video stall, and I happened to pick up a Best of Loki tape, and lo and behold, there was this match on that was, was on there, and um, I remember getting back, and uh, rushing back from that show just to watch that match because it took me four years to find it and um, I was blown away. Um, probably one of my favourite independent matches um, up until, I want to say, 2009. I, I, I want, Well, no, probably until Joe and Kobashi happened. But this... <laughs> It was. It was just at the time. It was. It was. It was so different. And obviously, Loki's blowing up at this time in the New York vicinity. And 
obviously I posted the match on the Twitter account and you sort of said, oh, I was thinking of doing that one for this month. So I thought I'd leave it alone and, and let you do it. And then we can talk about it here. And uh, lo and behold, it's, it's made its way on here. It's, it's another incredible match from this period of independent wrestling. And um, hopefully people go out their way to watch it because there is so many different versions of it on YouTube for free. There's the title match. YouTube version which is split into four parts or there's a fan cam version of it as well on the internet on YouTube that you can find or you can go and subscribe to independent wrestling television and watch the entire show up there but I I wouldn't recommend you do that (laughs) go and watch it on YouTube on the hand cam footage yeah that that was that was that was a good uh, a good pick definitely and yeah Thanks for introducing it to myself and I guess sort of reminding uh, Billy of how how good it is. Uh, back to back to you, Billy, and from picking um, Storm versus Daniels in our uh, listeners match, you've really sort of changed changed the channel, so to speak, on on your next pick. Uh, please uh, share it with us. Okay, so. It's fans bring the weapons light tubes table match. It's um from the IWA Mid South King of the Death Match tournament, uh, which is held yearly. Ian Rotten has won most of them. Shockingly, this is his promotion, so why wouldn't he put himself over in most of them? Uh, this show is being held in what I can describe as a tiny warehouse, but um. You know, the State Athletic Commission don't have any uh, uh, any ties to being able to shut the show down if it's running this, this tiny little warehouse, which I believe was owned by Ian himself. Because if not, they would have had to out of it out in a back garden. And I don't think in Delaware they probably would have had the weather for it at that time of the year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but no. Yeah. So it's deathmatch wrestling, so let's let's get to the action. To start this match out is a lockup and a go behind from Sick Nick. Uh, Ian reverses it into a hammerlock, but Nick counters it with an arm drag, which is kind of shocking. You're seeing any of this in a deathmatch. Ian then does a go behind of his own, but Nick counters it, take down uh, to an ankle lock, but counters it. In, Ian counters it into an ankle lock of his own. Uh, Ian then gives Mondo a shoulder tackle and then a drop kick to the back of Mondo's head. Mondo ducks a clothesline but follows it up with a spin kick that sends Ian to the outside. Now, the rest of the match is going to be on the outside, which is no surprise. Mondo then nails Ian with a sintine to the outside. Nick is the first to grab a light tube from the crowd. And nails Ian across the back with it, which, no surprise there. Mondo then grabs a wooden board with nails in it and drags it across the head of Ian. And Ian immediately blades, because of course he does. Ian then grabs a pane of glass, which had two light tubes attached to it, because why wouldn't you? And then, obviously, hits uh, Mondo across the back with it, which uh, causes Mondo to bleed. And then Mondo recovers. <laughs> Can't believe I just said that. 
and uh, grabs a kendo stick covered in barbed wire from a fan and nails Ian in the gut and then applies the sleeper hold. Yes, an actual wrestling hold. It seemed kind of pointless as he let go after a couple of seconds. They were obviously just relaying spots back to one another, i.e. hit me with that object that's nice and sharp, please. <laughs> More brawling, then Mondo grabs a plastic bat covered in thumbtacks and rolls it across Ian's head. And the blood flows some more. At this point, both men are bleeding, because of course they are. Ian has had enough at this point, and grabs the thumbtack bat and absolutely levers Mondo in the head with it. And across the back, thumbtacks go everywhere. I think that's what they call a, re- a receipt. Mondo has thumbtacks stuck in the back of his head. And across his back and on the top of his head as well. Both men exchange chops on the floor. Ian throws a television set at Mondo's face and the crowd chant holy shit for the silliest looking spot of the match. And that's saying something. Uh, Both men start exchanging elbows on the outside, but Mondo grabs the fun tap bat and continually nails Ian in the head over and over again. I think they call that a receipt as well (laughs) from the earlier uh, bat shots that Ian gave to Mondo. Mondo then goes to the fans and one of them hand him a crutch covered in light tubes and smashes it across Ian's back. Mondo walks across the other side of the building and sets up a ladder by the balcony. So, yep, we know what the big finish is. Mondo moves the light tubes tables underneath the balcony as well. So now we definitely know what the finish is. Mondo then Nails Ian with a stack of light tubes, basically five light tubes taped together and swings it at Ian's head. Of course, he no-sells it. Both men climb up onto the balcony as commentator Axel Rotten moves things out of the way rather politely so both men can do the final spot of the match. Up on the balcony, both men fight back and forth as Dave Prasak does his best wrestling hyperball and claims that both men are 20 feet above the table, when in in reality it was barely 10 feet. Mondo then goes to Irish whip Ian off the stage, but Ian reverses it, and Mondo flips himself off the balcony and comes crashing down onto the light tube-covered table. The crowd in unison chant, holy shit, as Prezak and Axel scream, holy fuck, because why not? Ian gingerly climbs down and covers Mondo for the free and advance to the final of the King of the Death match. Fucking hell. <laughs> I can't believe I decided to show you guys this match, but I thought, fuck it, why not? We're doing independent wrestling. There's going to be lots of death match going forward. Probably with the worst plastic Geordie there ever was in Ian Rotten. I have no love for that man whatsoever. Um... I can't understand why he decided to send himself over when Sick Nick Mondo was getting quite over with the Deathmatch audience at the time. He was um, certainly someone that you could see that uh, CZW and IWA could build to towards the future. But yeah, hey, it's Ian's promotion. He might as well send himself over. Um, it is it's sort of a shame that Sick Nick would have to retire in 2003 due to injuries from death matches. But if you, you know, um, want to find out a little bit more his story, he did a film. Uh, it's called The Trade. It's about himself and his career. And now he works for AEW as a video production guy. So 
at least he's still involved in the business. So thanks, Sick Nick, for everything you've done. Oh, well, good to, good to hear that it, uh, it's, it doesn't go the way of many wrestling stories, that it, it, he's actually got a career in wrestling, albeit not one in the ring, and probably for the for the best, if, if death matches were his sort of go-to match, probably unsustainable, and as he said, retired not long after this, so, but at least he's sort of still doing something in the business to this day. Back, back to the match, and yeah, when it first, when it first opened with a bit, a little bit of um, the coronel elbow tie-ups and all that stuff. I was questioning whether you'd definitely pick the right match or <laughs> the description was off or something was not quite right here. But then I, but then I did sort of look around the ring and then the commentators pretty much nailed it on the head quite quickly when they said this is the calm before the storm and then pointed, yep. then pointed out the light tubes on the on the table and basically said, oh, and someone's probably going to go through that in a minute. So cheers for the commentary on that, that just sort of telegraphing that within sort of two minutes of the match starting. But yeah, I thought it was sort of, yeah, really really fun. Um, then, as I've said before, uh, my experience in this type of uh, wrestling is, is limited. I haven't really seen much of it. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah, I mean not massively fan of the of the of bleeding everywhere and all that kind of stuff. It's a little bit overdone. But fair play to them. I think I thought it was a pretty decent match. And yeah, um I put in my my sort of notes here. Um fair play to to Mondo mainly for, for going shirtless in that match. I mean, pretty insane to to not want to sort of have some sort of protection. I think Ian was the smart one with the with the shirt and like the the short and pretty much covered in his whole body up because he knew what was going to happen. But uh, everyone else on that show decided to wear a t shirt, so <laughs> Exactly, yeah, I, I can I can imagine that maybe maybe that's um, Mondo's idea of saying that I'm tougher than you guys. I can I can do it. I can do this on shirtless. But but yeah, enjoyable, completely different to what we'd what we were watching for the for the rest of this month. But um, yeah, in a, in an odd way, looking forward to seeing sort of more of these just to have that variety each month and to see um, what other things they can do. I can't say I'm looking forward to seeing how how far it goes down that rabbit hole because I, from what I know. In my sort of limited experience, the the um, the stipulations get crazier and crazier. So yeah, maybe maybe sort of steer away from from that end of the spectrum. But definitely sort well, of a match a match sort of similar to this when there's a few weapons, a few things like that involved is is, is fine. But yeah, I. Will yeah. you wait until next year, Dan, when um, I show you the meat hook stuff that Zandig does in CZW? Lucky either, me. You, you either love deathmatch wrestling or you hate it. And <laughs> yeah, I, I can see it kind of being a, a, a bit, a bit marmite of, of a love and hate. But I don't know, may, maybe, maybe this of where you just put a, a still a dab of marmite on on something is, is fine, rather than having the full marmite on full marmite on post experience. I don't know. We shall see. Maybe. Maybe this is the start of me sort of hardening up, I guess, and sort of being being becoming immune to all this stuff. So when that when those shows eventually do come along, I'll be sort of blasé and and sort of take it on take it as as just just another match. We, we shall see. Adam, what you thought? So, so a couple of years ago on one of the main shows, I I did a promo uh, specifically against Ian Rossum, but again, it was mostly against Deathmatch stuff in general and I stand by that um, no, I, I mean, I've, 
I don't watch, I don't watch much deathmatch wrestling because it's really not my thing. I've, but you know, I've, but I think every time we've covered like a big hardcore match on this, on this show that I've been present for, my argument has always been the same with a lot of hardcore matches and it bleed and it, a lot worse in a lot of death matches, especially ones, especially when I've seen them live. That um, general wrestling psychology could very easily be played to these matches, but for some reason it just completely goes out the window. Oh yeah. Um, you, you know, the, the whole idea of you know get, getting, you know, like uh, the big cut off followed by the big heat segment followed by the big comeback and. Especially in a hardcore environment, that could work really well. But, um, a lot of like this style of wrestling, people just kind of give up on it and just start trading weapon shots. And, with, and what's weird is there were actually points in this match where it's like, oh, actually they they they're not doing that. They're kind of going. There is a sense of flow to this match, and then about halfway through, they just. Kind, it just kind of broke down, um, you know, and then they just like, yeah, let's just trade off weapon shots, and it's just like, oh, okay, it's, it looked like it was going to be a a break, it looked like it was going to be a standout match, but then it's like, oh, it's just become a another death match, and I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I only really, I only watched this match once because it's just not the sort of match I, I have any interest in. Watching a second time, I know for review purposes, I should have watched it a second time, but no, I just couldn't bring myself to. Um, I get there are people out there that watch this stuff, and that's fine. That's your choice. My choice is to try and avoid watching this stuff as as much as possible. So I, um, I mean, Wondo is a shame he, he packed it in because he looks like he could have, he did have something going for him in the early parts of the match where they were working the you know a more sort of traditional style um Ian Ross and I'm surprised he's still around given the fact he couldn't work that traditional style but I'm pretty sure he's the only person who books himself so you know. <laughs> that's very true <laughs> there is that yeah it, mm. it's, it's like something Cornette said to me once yeah I put myself in battle royals for smoking mountain because it's so, uh you know I didn't have to. I didn't have to pay myself to do it, and it's like, and it's that same logic with Ian Ryan. Because I've seen some of the. I mean, the, the it wasn't a massive crowd here, but the the venue looked fairly full. I've seen just a few short years later. I saw the footage of the Mickey Knuckles accident, oh, and that God. was yeah. uh, where she broke her leg, and that was pretty much empty. Um, so it it shows that I'm. But, um, yeah, Ian Rosson is, uh, he wasn't doing something right with, um, for his audience, at least at that point. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't really have a lot of positive things to add to this because I just, um, I just, it's just not the sort of thing I can, I, I really, I'm really interested in watching this. It's, it's like, I'm intrigued by the hostile films, but I don't think I'll ever actually sit and watch them all the way through because mm-hmm. it's it's the same it's the same principle. 
Well, don't worry, Adam. Next month, we've got nothing but death matches for you to review. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs> Fucky. Cool. Th- thanks again for, for that one. Uh, and that just leaves us with, with one final match. And in the spirit of Ian Rotten, I guess, as I'm sort of the host for this show, why why not put my match as the main event for, for <laughs> this month? And what a main event it is. Oh, yes. As we go to, <laughs> to, to this, this our final, final match of the, of the show for, for the North American Championship Wrestling Heavyweight Championship, no it less. for a title. It was indeed. <laughs> you were not paying attention. Come on. From, posted in, in Bennettsville, South Carolina. Yes, I did a bit more town research. This, this one. Up from that 1,200 we saw in that small town area, up to a population of 9,500 people. Wow. And all of them were there, weren't they, Dan? Just not all of them. I've got, I've again been a, I put my generous attendance figure at probably 100, because (laughs) it looked like some of the beaches were, had at least a few people on them. Uh, But, but wow, yeah, I, I think I'm hitting these ones out of the ballpark this month and, there's, it could be my my go-to for, for the future if if the NWA and OVW let me down again. But there we go. The match I'm talking about, of course, is Tony Atlas. Yes, that one. Mr. USA. <laughs> Mr. Oh, USA. Sorry. And he was dressed. He was dressed as Mr. USA himself, full of stars and stripes, singlet and tights, against uh, the Barbarian, him of uh, Powers of Pain and uh, Dungeon of Doom fame. Dressed in Dungeon of Doom attire tonight, sort of the all all black with I think there's a, a little bit of writing saying Dungeon of Doom on on it. He probably half half inch from WCW on his way out. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> lock up and a few power moves from Barbarian sends Tony to the outside early on. Back in- there was a lock up. There w- yes, the, this match is amazing compared to what we've seen. <laughs> Back into the ring and a top wrist lock by, by Atlas, but powered through by Barbarian. And now the USA chants come in from the fans, powering Tony back up to to his feet. <laughs> into, into the in, Tony powers the Barbarian into the corner with for a, but a clean break because he is Mr. USA, the, the, the fan favorite. Clean break from him. But then we get another coronary type, but into the corner by Barbarian. He. Being the heel, no clean break, and a few throat thrusts and chops, and Atlas is down. <laughs> Throws Tony Atlas into the into another corner for a choke spot. USA chants again to try and rally our fallen hero Tony Atlas, but Jim Duggan he ain't, and he does not respond to these chants and cannot get up. Barbarian then with a, a headbutt to the to the midsection, possibly a, a touch lower when the referee was turned 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 his way turned away. More chops and chokes from from Barbarian to keep Atlas down. Now into a rear chin lock just to calm things down after such an electric start. <laughs> <laughs> how did you say that with a straight face? Oh, I can't see you, but how did you say that with a straight face? <laughs> oh, it, it was an effort. It was an effort. Atlas, though, fights back to his feet. Couple of punches, whipped to the corner, but no, runs into a big boot by Barbarian, and Barbarian gets a two count. More strikes to Atlas, more chops, and so forth, and yet another chin lock to weaken him further. 
Well, Rowan picks up, up Atlas into the corner, a few chops, and Atlas has to bail to the floor to try and get his win back. Back into the... Back. <laughs> he was blown up after five minutes. <laughs> five minutes? Uh, I, I think you're being very generous there. I, I'm going with, with, with 50 seconds. I think we're already sucking wind heavily already. <laughs> Irish trip by Barbarian, but reversed into a sleeper by, by Atlas. Just as you think this is going to be the end of the end of the, the contest for Barbarian, two master assailants come in to distract the ref- referee. <laughs> one with a with a loaded mask, I think, where a headbutt to Atlas knocks him out, and Barbarian picks up the the three and is your new North American Championship Wrestling Heavyweight Champion. That is a mouthful. There was a title belt in this match. Jesus, that was a nice looking yeah. belt. It was. It was a decent belt. Thank you, Adam. See, someone pays attention. That was a decent belt. And just, I mean, more shots of that belt as the match finishes because Barbarian comes back in the ring, attacks Atlas with the belt and lays him flat. And that show ends with no music, no fanfare, just unhappy fans and Barbarian walking out with the title. Lads, what a main event. That was, um, <laughs> that was something. I mean, you, I heard Billy mocking that, you know, that Tony was getting blown up after. <laughs> After five minutes there, but you know what he forgets is this was the end of a of a TV tape. Everyone on this show works twice, so you know. But that, that so he's got an excuse as to as to why I was a little worn out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, the entire front row passed out due to lack of oxygen because of how much wind Atlas was sucking. Oh, honestly, I, th- I think there's a reason there was they, the, the ringside area was so far back that the, <laughs> seeing, in the, seeing in the front row meant you were a, a good sort of ten meters back. I mean, I've yeah. been to a few WWE shows, and the the outside of the ring area there is quite large for all, all the various things they need. But Jesus, they'll probably double that for this one. <laughs> Setting so far, the front row would would have if you had, you had to pay extra to sit in the front row, I could be getting my money back because they were not front row. <laughs> Say the least. They paid to get into this show. I, I, I'm hoping they did. I, someone has to. The, the, the Barbarian and Atlas deserve some money out of this. Uh, the, the last time I was in, a, I was at a show um, that the audience was sat that far back from the ring it was because at the end of it, I think there were honestly people who would have rioted had there been more of them. Um, <laughs> And I, I think that's the same here. Um, I, I can I can see why you chose this match because it certainly stands out from all the other choices that mm. that are on this that are on the show. Um, someone once said to me um, about indie wrestling is all indie wrestling is supposed to be this as far as the fans are concerned, is just a smaller version of what is presented on TV, which when done right, it generally is. Um, and this match here was, you could argue, was the same if the TV you are referring to is uh, mid-80s WWF um, wrestling challenge tapings. <laughs> well, true, yeah. I, I was... I. Watching this sort of back again, I, I was um, sort of thinking, I bet if we sort of looked hard enough, which we shouldn't do, but no. we could probably find 
Barbarian versus Sabasimba from early 91. <laughs> and the, the match would probably be about the same. Yeah. <laughs> I, I gotta love it though. The, the fact the finish came from what looked like a loaded headbutt. Who does that anymore? You don't, that's one of those things that's just been lost into the sands of time. And I'm not sure what, and even after seeing it, because um, I had to rewind to sort of because I missed it the first time. <laughs> I sort of looked, you know, they were in the breast, they were in the chin lock, and I looked down and looked up, and you know, it was something that was like, wait, what happened? I had to rewind it, and it was like one of those things of I, you don't see that anymore. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because it certainly caught me off guard. Um, you know what? I going into more than wrestling, the Dark Order and AEW could use some loaded. Loaded masks, I think. I think that would that would suit them well. Load up some of the masks they wear. Evil Uno off the top with a loaded mask with a loaded mask to sneak a win. Why not? Tony, that would be getting heel heat in a promotion where you can't get heel heat. That's that's the problem. I don't know. I think I think they'd be cheered for doing it, especially if like um, negative one provided the foreign object. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. See, catch that, catch that on Elevation or Dark in the next few weeks, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> any, any more for any more on this amazing, amazing match? Thank you for picking it, Dan. You made my day when you picked it, because I watched it back the second you, you put it up in the group and everything, and I, I couldn't stop laughing. I was like, this is tremendous. Um, It just... It was a good throwback match. The crowd was into it, obviously. Um, they really wanted Mr. USA to win. And um, I, I know I took the piss out of it a lot. But no, it, it, was, um, it was a proper indie family show match. You can't go wrong with that as the main event. And um, <laughs> what else do I say about it? You know, at least the Destroyer sort of did that innovative finish. He was the guy in the mask. Um, I think it, this this match, sort of match. Um, it's like you said, it's a, it's a throwback. It, indie wrestling here in two thousand one is is in a weird state of flux because for the previous several years it was so focused on being an ECW knockoff, which is how okay. we got like, the CCW and the IWA and two thousand and but. Before that, this is what a lot of the indie wrestling would have been. I'm not mm-hmm. saying I'm not saying like territory wrestling, but in the early 90s there was a, uh, a small independent sort of movement where the territories are dying out. People were trying to sort of fill that hole, and this is the sort of matches you would have. Um, but yeah, we've all seen that match with Jim Anvil versus Virgil, and obviously Anvil. Pulls yes. off the, the hood and everything. Everyone's seen that. That's what independent wrestling was, and then it's, it's basically all changed to what it is today. Well, well, yeah. I mean, you, if you put this match on on Heroes of Wrestling, it stands out. It, it would be it would stand out as being a stellar match because this was not that, at least. Hmm. But, uh, they, they did seem to be putting effort into it, and the crowd yeah, were behind sure, yeah. them mm. more than a lot of those heroes of wrestling matches can, can oh, play. Yes. 
But um, yeah, that's that's it for our matches. Um, I'd be able to sort of really sort of pick a sort of favourite or anything like that. But I mean, uh, for me, sort of my highlight would probably be the um, the CTW six man. I think that was that sort of showed showed me things I sort of hadn't seen no, before. No, let's not be nice about this, Dan. We're all going to pick. Tony Atlas versus the Barbarians. <laughs> See, in no, that I five I star classic. If you two want to, if you two want to pick that, then well, thank you for the, for doing that, and I can understand why because it was it was more entertaining than it had any right to be. I think. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that that was that was that was fun, and but that does it for for this month's show. Before we do sort of end it and say goodbye, chaps, uh, where can we find you on the socials, Adam? Uh, so you can. Follow me on on Twitter, el underscore j. Um, from the, you know, I, I don't post on there very often because you know Twitter is nothing but a place of bile and hatred. Uh, so <laughs> the only thing I tend to post on there is is just retweeting twenty uh, YRS stuff. But hey, feel free to follow me anyway because you know I'm the account. I'm the only twenty YRS account good enough to be both blocked by Hulk Hogan and followed by Jim Cornette. So. <laughs> What that says about me, I don't know. Um, yeah. on, if anyone's on um, Minds, I'm, I'm on there, uh, ELJ Comedy. Um, I also have a Facebook page you can like, uh, el.j.comedy. Uh, it's usually where I post about comedy gigs, which I actually did do one last week, but I don't have a few anything lined up at the minute. Um, so mostly it's just a case of me posting funny memes and 20 IRS updates. Both of which are things you should welcome in your life. So, hey, feel free to follow me. Great. And Billy, how about yourself? So you can follow me on the Twitter if you really want. Um, I just talk a lot of shit on there, to be perfectly honest. Uh, it's at Billy underscore J83. Or you can follow the podcast Twitter account, which is at Indie, which is uh, I-N-D-Y, rest. 20 YRS. That's good. <laughs> That's it. I, I got it right this time. <laughs> That's all right. That's perfect. And myself, I'm at Daniel S. DeWitt. And similarly, if I'm not posting about wrestling, I'm, I'm barely posting at all. But yeah, I'll chip in with the occasional uh, football opinion and things like mainly a lot of stuff about the 90s as well. That's 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 where my focus is, and so I guess now leaning into the early 21st century with it with this podcast as well. Um, just a quick reminder that uh, coming up also on your podcast feed, the same podcast feed as, as this, will be uh, the June 2001 edition of the 20 of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, which um, this month will be Chris White and Eric Landstrom covering the King of the Ring 2001 and the start of the invasion. A very interesting time in the WF and uh, podcast. I'm looking forward to listening back to myself to see how how they tackle it and then what comes next in in July and onwards. Uh, nothing much more for me to say, but I'd say thanks for listening and see you next month. Bye. Shoot